0: the following audio is from downtown church a kingdom-focused gospel-centered multi-ethnic multi-class ministry in memphis tennessee for more information please visit downtownchurch.com good morning then pilate took jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, "Hail, King of the Jews,' and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, "'See, I am bringing him out to you "'that you may know that I find no guilt in him.' So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, "'Behold the man.' When the chief priests and the officers saw them, they cried out, "'Crucify him, crucify him!' Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you? and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified this is the word of
1: the Lord amen thank you Marissa it's good to be back um, Rachel and I had a vacation planned and uh, we got covid on our vacation and that's why I wasn't here last year last week but uh it's good to be back here and yet this Tuesday we are taking I think the trip of a lifetime we're going to Israel uh for 12 days and are literally going to be walking the streets um that Jesus walked and um looking at all the sites that um that we might Uh, feel a deeper connection to the reality of what Christ has done for us and God's faithfulness faithfulness to us in sending his son and so we would appreciate your prayers for that trip and really looking forward to it Um, also and I'm going to pray for this but Adriana is not here this morning she is going to have her baby this Wednesday Uh, and we need to pray uh, for her and really excited. And then Thursday, as you may have seen in the bulletin, but also on Realm, we, the elders have declared every Thursday between now and Easter to be a day of fasting and prayer. And so we highly encourage you to take uh, some time, some serious time. um, If you are able to fast, and I've put a full description on, um, the realm. If you have some type of eating disorder or, uh, medical condition, please don't feel guilty. Um, if you know that this would really defeat the purpose of fasting, uh, because the purpose is to really let go of this world with both hands and grab on to God and, and plead with him to move. And so we are in the midst of, um, A lot of big things transition of um, lead pastor and pastor search team and building team and uh, we've actually put an offer on a building and yet um, even if they accept it um, we got to come up with a lot of money and God's gonna have to do great things and big things and so we need to be in prayer uh, for especially at this time in the life of this church so please take time this Thursday and um and spend time in prayer begging god to move and in all these different ways so let's go to the lord in prayer before we dive into his word this morning father we rejoice that you're a god that is spoken you're a god that is spoken clearly through your word and lord jesus as we encounter you On your way to the cross, Father, we are struck with your humility that is really a boldness like we can't understand, Uh, that you would not consider equality with God something to be grasped, that you would allow wicked men to have power over you is mind-boggling. And yet, in this, we see your glory, and in this, we see your power, and in this, we see your love, and in this, we see your perfection. So, I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts to all of that and so much more. Lord Jesus, would you be lifted up to such an extent that we would understand that freedom is is letting go of this life and realizing that you are life. Lord God, would you come by your Spirit and work in us, each one of us, right where we are, because you know exactly where that is. So we look to you for strength, illumination, and wisdom. We look to you for transformation and power to walk the way Jesus walked and to love the way Jesus loves. And Father, we pray for our sister Adriana and Brennan this week, God, put your hand on them. We thank you so much for the gift of this little girl. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless um, every step. And that, Father, you would help Adriana and Brennan to welcome their daughter into their family. And that, Father, you would just astound them with your goodness, your faithfulness, your mercy, your compassion. Oh, Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them on that day and forevermore and lord i lift them to you in jesus name amen this is historical narrative and it's easy to rush through it but i don't want to do that i want to get into this narrative and I want you to get where Jesus is. Jesus has been arrested. Have you ever been arrested? You're in good company. <laughs> have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? You're in good company. I have to think that John is setting this up in his first chapter. Because the first words of John are so unlike anything else in the rest of the gospel. But what he's doing is he wants us to understand who this is, being arrested. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. His glory is on display, not in some superhero marvel way. But in the way that the God who spoke everything into being, the way that the God who has never known a beginning is allowing men to slap him, beat him, accuse him, mock him. He did most of his ministry with an arrest warrant out for him. John 7. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man they seek to kill? So they were seeking to arrest him. Paul would say, this is the very image of God. The writer of Hebrews would say, he is the exact imprint of God. Arrested. Jesus was flogged. Strips of leather were were joined into a wooden handle. And it was a, a tool of pain and torture. And as Jesus' back lay bare before his captors, he was struck numerous times. This tool was, was meant to rip open his back, and it succeeded over and over and over again. Why? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was mocked. Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been made fun of? The soldiers twisted thorns. There were thorn bushes with large thorns, and I'll probably see those this week or next. And, and they, they crafted them. They ripped them off, and they, they made a, a crown of thorns. And, and they put this purple robe on Jesus, and they put the crown of thorns on His head as His coronation, His king. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they mocked, and they laughed. What a fool! To the God of heaven! and earth, and he took it. Genesis three seventeen sheds light on this. God, in, in his curse on creation and on mankind, says, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam and Eve. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Jesus is wearing the crown of thorns, representing the curse itself, because he knows what we know. That the curse would be defeated a few days later. Romans 8 For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Dear friends, one day, someday, we are going to live in a place where there are no no thorns to prick us, where the, the land doesn't work against us but for us, where everything in all creation, there is no decay, there is no pollution, there is no hate, there is no violence. Why? Because Jesus wore the throne, wore the crown of thorns, and Jesus bore the purple robe to be mocked in our place. Jesus was questioned. You ever been questioned? I remember as a fifth grader, my parents' divorce was fresh, and yet I think it was a year, year and a half after that, that my mother remarried, and they joined a church in East Memphis, and we went on a, we went to summer camp. And I was the new kid. I really didn't know anybody. And the first night, somebody broke into the canteen and stole some candy. And I don't know who pointed to me, but all I remember is an elder pulling me out of whatever activity I was in that morning, putting his arm around me, and us walking down the street, and him trying to get me to confess that I stole the candy in the canteen. And I didn't steal the candy. I didn't even know who stole the candy. And I remember feeling small. I was already self-conscious. I already didn't know anybody. I was already the new kid. And now, not only am I the new kid, but I'm the kid that apparently steals candy. The kid nobody wants their kid to be like. Jesus is questioned over and over again by Pilate. (laughs) Pilate. He is questioned. His integrity is questioned. Who he is is questioned. And you know what he did? I defended myself. You know what he did? Verse 3, he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's your Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by those that should have celebrated him. You ever been betrayed? We all have. John 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's an understatement. His own people yelled, "Crucify him, crucify him. Hell king of the Jews. You worthless fraud." And then ultimately He was delivered over to the mob to be crucified, verse 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. This is the Jesus of history. (laughs) This is the Son of God. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. His glory is in his suffering and in his cross. So what can we learn? Number one, submitting your circumstances to the, to the Father provides unrivaled strength in the face of real suffering. Submitting your suffering, submitting your circumstances to the Father, trusting that in some way it's coming through the nail-pierced hands of Jesus is the only way to get through suffering in this life. It's believing that God is God and you are not. I've told you before, but I, I, this is the only story that just kept coming back to me over and over again. It's no secret that my father never professed Jesus, at least to me. And yet, on his deathbed, and, and most of my life after I came to Christ um, in high school, most of my life I felt guilty. I felt this burden that I had to make my father a Christian. And I never felt like I said enough. I never felt like I did enough. I never felt like I made the stands. I would always walk away from conversations and be just kicking myself. Man, why didn't I say this? Man, when he said that, this would have been the perfect way. This was the perfect argument. And I'm sitting there with my father on his deathbed. He's in a coma. And God gives me the greatest gift. He reminds me, I am not him that my my Father's salvation does not rest on me. I heard God saying, trust me. Not, he's a Christian, he's not a Christian. It's just, trust me, these are things too lofty for you. And friends, when we get into the suffering of our lives, when when we are undergoing severe trials, and our faith feels like it's about to be ripped apart, we have to remember Jesus. How did he get through what he got through? There was was no real way to eliminate Jesus' pain, but there was a way to heighten it. The way that it could have been heightened is for Jesus to lose all faith that his Father was sovereign, and that his Father was loving, and that his Father's will was better. Everything that happened to Jesus, Jesus received is from the hand of his Father. Do you? How would that change your life if you took it from the Father? trusting that there was purpose. Jesus said this in Luke 22, he's in the garden, he's sweating drops of blood because he knows what's coming the next day. And he cries out, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Is that your prayer for your life? This wasn't some sudden burst of character or anomaly for Jesus. This, was Jesus. this was the core of Jesus. This came out of everything he is at his very core. I trust my Father. If I know one thing in this life, it is that I can trust my Father no matter the circumstances, no matter the mocking, no matter the questioning, no matter the beating, no matter the stripes on my back, no matter, no matter, I can trust my Father. The bottom line for Jesus is He knew that though evil reigned in this world, His Father reigned over the evil that reigned. That His Father was sovereign over it. Reformed theologians refer to this as the permissive will of God, and it, 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 it's basically a theologian's way to describe something that really can't be described. It, it's something so lofty that we really can't get our minds around it. We, we can have categories that help us, that make it, make, make it easier to trust and believe, but ultimately we, we can't justify, we can't reconcile the sovereignty of God with the evil of this world. But it's reconciled in the Father. It's reconciled in relationship with God. This is what Je- Jesus is getting at in verses 10 through 11. Pilate says, you're not going to speak to me? You remember what Jesus said? or Pilate said, do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I love this response. Finally, Jesus talks. Oh, you would have no authority if it wasn't given to you from above. He said, make make no mistake, Pilate. Your authority is not your authority. You only have it. You only sit in that judgment seat because my Father put you there. So Jesus knew that though Pilate was using this power for evil, his father was reigning over Pilate's power. This may be troublesome, but it's reality. I, I think the more troubling reality is to think of the possibility that God has literally no power over evil. The, the the thing that's harder to believe or that we don't, believe me, I don't, I don't think we want to believe that God has no authority over power. So, reconciling a, a loving God and a sovereign God with evil in this world, if we simply do away with it, we're only left... With a world that is completely out of control, there's no certainty whatsoever, and there's no purpose at all in our suffering. Paul said this, we know that God works all things for the good of those that love Him and have been called according to His purpose. How? I don't know. How is God making your circumstances good right now? I have no idea, but God does. This mindset is all throughout the Bible. You think of Joseph. I'm not going to retell the story, but quickly, he's sold by his brothers into slavery, and he rises up through the ranks, spends time in prison too, a common theme throughout the Scriptures for God's people, and what happens? His brothers come before him, and they need food because there's a famine. He gives them food, and eventually, he reveals that he's their brother, and they shrink back in fear, thinking that he is going to kill them, but he says, hey, get up. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good this is all throughout the Bible. Is that the center of your faith? Dear friends, the only way we're going to get through this life is by trusting that God our Father is ruling even over the evil that is ruling. Secondly, evil will often seem to be winning, but don't lose hope. Jesus suffered. Just let that sink in. Well, for whose sin did he suffer? Sin of the world. Jesus suffered. Jesus didn't provide many promises. He provided a lot of teaching, but not a lot of promises. But here's one of them. In this world, you will have trouble. There's so many deconstructing their faith now. Oh, I can't believe in that. This, this, you know, sovereign, almighty God who has something to do with evil. But Jesus said we we're going to have trouble. The breakdown was not Jesus' teaching. The breakdown was the church. The breakdown was a church and an Americanized gospel that said, if you're really living for the Lord, then your life is going well and you're comfortable. But it's just the exact opposite. The kingdom principle is if you're living for Jesus, you're going to suffer. You are going to go through some stuff. He told his his disciples, Matthew, uh, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep have no chance against the wolves. Friends, evil's going to hurt us. Evil is going to seem to be winning a lot of the time. And this is the way of life. John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains a single seed. But if it's willing to die, if it's willing to go through some suffering and trust God in it, then it will produce many seeds. A seed has to dry up and die, and then it becomes fruitful. And friends, that's the same for you and me. Scotty Smith is a friend of mine. He's actually discipling me and Dan Allender disciple Scotty Smith. Scotty texted me yesterday, he said this, he said, Dan told him at one point in his life, Scotty, as long as your cry for relief is louder than your cry for a changed heart, you're not going to grow and you're not going to be healthy. Is your cry for relief louder than your cry for a changed heart? Here's the the kingdom principle. For the Christian, suffering makes us better. Suffering crushes the world because they have no hope and no power. But for us, suffering makes us better. You know how? It gets us over us. It puts us constantly in a situation where we have to do one thing and one thing only, cry out to God and depend upon Him or abandon our faith. And you guess what? Our God is a God who is near to the brokenhearted. Our God is a God who runs to those who humble themselves before Him. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And friends, unfortunately, we've got to be humbled because what is at the heart of Richard Reeves and my sin nature is I want to be God, and I want to be comfortable, and I want everything to revolve around me. And God says, I love you too much, Richard, to let you stay right there. Because as long as you live for you, you die. You experience no life. You experience no joy. I've got to get you over you, Richard. And this is the freedom and the life that Jesus came to give us. This is what James said. He is writing to those who are in deep suffering. And listen to what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's the kingdom principle. The world's world's principles flipped on its head, flipped on its ear. Count it joy when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith, Produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, or let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness in what? In your faith in the one who is life. What do you have when everything's taken from you? That's what it means to be a Christian. The offer of the gospel is very simple. There is one who is life, and he came for you. And he came to give himself to you. He didn't come to reorder your world around you. He came to reorder your world around him. Why? Because he's cruel and he's an egomaniac? No, because that's the only way we know life. How does he know that? Because he made us. The only way, your freedom is to be freed from you, And free to loving God and loving neighbor. That's why those are the two greatest commandments because that's where the gospel is taking all of us in this room if we claim the name of Jesus. Every relationship, every suffering, every trial, every way we lack. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus endured suffering to free us from its power. Isaiah 53 again. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. No one can escape suffering. Therefore, there's two options. Suffer apart from Christ or suffer in Christ. Those are the only two options. Suffer apart from Christ or suffer in Christ. Again, you know... uh, about six months ago, I, I said the last two years have been the hardest of my life, caring for my, my parents as they struggled with dementia, and it was brutal. But I can't imagine going through that without my wife, without my daughters, without my son in laws, without my grandchildren, without this church. But I really can't imagine going through that without the one who hears the cry. My wife could console me. My wife could come alongside me. My wife could lift some burdens. But only God could be there in the night and speak to my soul and tell me, I love you, son. You are mine and I'm yours. And you can trust me. And, oh, I wanted to think, you're so cruel, Father. How could my mother go from being this delightful human to being someone who cursed me and literally physically wanted to assault me because her dementia was was twisting her mind and twisting her emotions and twisting her perspective? Oh, God, you were cruel. But all all I had to do was look at the cross and say, no, no. He's not cruel. He is good. He is loving. He gave His only begotten Son for me so in this moment I could know beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what my circumstances, there was a God who was willing to give His Son for me, to buy me, to redeem me from my sin and from my helplessness to Himself. And, oh, He has a future ahead for me. He has given me His Spirit as a deposit For an inheritance that nothing and no one can steal from me. He is a God who has secured my destiny because he is making a place so much more than a house. He's making a new heaven and a new earth that is going to blow my mind for eternity. A place so beautiful that there is no way that I will ever get bored again. I will never, ever get to the end of new discoveries because every little discovery points to Him and increases my love and my my worship of Him. There's a day when there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. I can't believe in a God that has the power to overcome evil but doesn't do it. Dear friends, the other options are really bad, and He has done something, (laughs) final and complete, and you can trust Him. How do you need to to trust Christ right now in light of this sermon? I challenge you to spend time in John 19, 1 through 16, and then continue on. We're going to look at next week spend time contemplating the one who would do all that he did for you and for me he is life dear friends he is the best life he is the only life you can trust him would you do so today Lord jesus thank you thank you for your unrivaled love Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Oh, God, I pray that even as we come to the table, that you would continue the reality of this message to pierce our hearts, to overwhelm us. Oh, God, even as we partake of the elements on the table, God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in us and through us. Draw our hearts to you. Amen. Let's receive the benediction. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.